The lesson is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active. We pray that by the grace of Jesus that you would plant that word deep in our hearts today. That we would hear it and obey it for your glory. Amen. Well, I hope you can see me over this beautiful flower display. I think I can just about uh, see over it. Uh, thank you, Sophie and Howard, um, for that gift. Um, it was wonderful to be part of your marriage yesterday, and it's lovely to see you here today, and congratulations again to you both. Well, this morning we're starting a short series on vision, um, thinking a little bit about what, what we are and who we are as a church here in North Oxford. And at the start of this new school term, we're welcoming people from across the city. Um, some will be here for the first time this morning. Maybe you're coming back after a, a summer of being away. Maybe you're deciding to give church a go for the first time in a while. Uh, wherever you're coming from, you're very welcome. Here at St. Andrews, we're a group of people, some uh, fervent believers, some very unsure about the whole thing. 
but we gather here each week to help one another on the journey of faith with God, to move us forward from wherever we are in that journey, and to help one another be faithful and to trust God with all that life throws at us. And I think that's particularly important for us this week, isn't it? With all that we've seen uh, going on in uh, in, uh, this nation this week, we need to stop and remember that God is sovereign over uh, our news, over our nation, and over our lives. That the machinations and decisions of politicians are in his hands. And that he has, throughout history, used people, people in power, people in lowly places, to achieve his purposes. So I wonder whether, just at the beginning of uh, this sermon, we should just stop and pray for our nation. Can I invite us to pray? Our Father in heaven, you are king above all kings. We pray for those in Parliament, for our Prime Minister, our government and our elected officials. We pray for our communities that struggle with divisions, for those anxious about the future. And we pray that you would use your church to be peacemakers, to offer hope to those around us. Please would you teach us to humble ourselves and pray and seek your face. Turn from our wickedness that we would hear from heaven, be forgiven of sin, and see healing in this land. Amen. Well, I've spoken about vision here on a number of occasions, but let me focus us back on our gathering today, because what is it that will encourage you to plug in to this church Some of you will have been plugging in here for years. If that's you, then what is it that you are looking for? I speak to many people for whom that's the key question. For some, it's the music. I want great hymns. I want great choirs. I want great worship. For some, it's prayer. I want prophetic and powerful prayer ministry. For some, it's the teaching. I want great Bible-focused and relevant teaching. For some, it's the children and youth groups. I will sit through anything as long as my children are happy and engaging. <laughs> For some of us, we even show that in, through our actions. We may turn up late after church has started because the start of church, well, that isn't real church, is it? Real church is when the preaching begins. Or maybe you're one of those people that leave as soon as you can after the blessing because real church is what happens in this service, not in the coffee and the discussion with one another afterwards. Well, the list could go on. I think all of those attitudes uh, show a, a consumer attitude to worship. It's like Amazon Prime or the supermarket shopping applied to church where church is there for my convenience, for what I can get, not what I can give. I may be a believer, but I don't really belong. And I tend to be critical rather than committed. Well, I wonder what God sees for his community of saints. What's he really calling us to? 
the vision we have here is to see lives transformed by Jesus. That's my prayer, that's my hope. Uh, I hope it's your prayer too. And I've explained that to do that, I would love to see us transforming communities, developing godly leadership, and growing churches. We're going to look at each of these in turn over the coming weeks. But the danger with these wonderful vision priorities is that they lead us straight to action. I do want us to be a church that looks outward, that's active in our communities, that's seeking to be missional. But in order to do that, we need to continually return to the place of worship and of prayer. We need to be people who are transformed themselves, that we might transform by God's grace the people that we interact with. If we miss this, then we easily become pharisaical and our hearts will harden. We'll wonder why people aren't responding to our great message and we'll work from our own strength. This passage in Romans 12 points us to another way of being. It's a way that leads us to serve from a right heart. To worship not because we're a consumer, but because in some ways God has consumed us. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Just read the Old Testament and we get used to the notion of sacrifices in religion. Often you would bring a sacrifice yourself, a dove, a pigeon, a lamb, a bull, and it would arrive living and it would end dead. Only this sacrifice that Paul speaks of is the other way around. Did you notice that? Living sacrifices, not dead ones. So this isn't about the big romantic gesture, I'll do anything, I'll die for you. God doesn't want dead bodies. He wants living ones. It's about giving your life to God to live for him. Living and yet sacrifices. All God's to do with as he pleases. And do you notice that it's your body, not, your, not, not just your heart with its feelings, not just your mind with its thoughts, but your bodies which encompass all your gifting, all your wealth, all your actions. Where your body goes, that's where your worship goes too. So worship isn't confined to this building. It spills out into every place you go and everywhere you spend time. Your workplace, your family, your trip to the, to the coffee shop. And we're invited to be a sacrifice, not to bring one. But hang on, someone will say, this is, this is exactly what I fear about religious fundamentalism. Dan, you're going over the top. You're saying we shouldn't be a consumer, we should be consumed. And that's where we lose our identity, isn't it? It's where we lose our freedom, our personality. I'm not really sure I want that. Well, the good news is that God doesn't want that either. He delights in who he's made you to be. He wants you to be consumed 
by him. And look at the motivation that he offers. He says, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, not oppression, nothing forced, not an appeal to God's power or strength, but to his mercy. To be a living sacrifice, we need to savour God's saving mercy. One of the people that led me to, to Christ was a lovely man called Roger who, who once showed me a picture of Jesus hanging on a cross. And he helped me to understand that here was God dead for my sin. And as we spoke about this picture, I realized two things. Firstly, that this horrible death was for me. That I'm so desperately in need that I needed Christ to do this for me. And secondly, that that is how much God loves me. Do you see that this morning? That we need to savour God's saving mercy. It's a theme that recurs throughout Romans. Just uh, keep a finger in that um, passage in Romans 12, but flick back uh, to the start of Romans, to the opening chapters which reveal who we really are. And in chapter 3, verse 10, we read, There is no one righteous, not even one. In our own strength, not one of us here today is righteous, is right with God. And then verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We've all sinned, and yet, through Christ Jesus, we're justified freely by his grace. That's mercy. Or or turn a page to chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This free gift of eternal life is mercy, not merit. And what does mercy do to the wretched man of chapter 7? Well, you just turn to chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life sets me free from the law of sin and death. God set me, set you free. God has mercy. Or flick down to verse 31 of that chapter. What then shall we say? If God is for us, that's mercy. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, that's mercy again. But gave him up for us all, that's more mercy How will he not also graciously give us all things? More mercy. Now read chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because of all of this, In view of God's mercy, verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think of God's saving mercy. Think of it as you watch the news. 
Think of it as you struggle with your family dynamics. Think of it as you engage in your workplace. Think of God's saving mercy. Reflect on it. Marvel at it. And in view of God's saving mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Offer yourself as junior partner to work afresh with God. Perhaps you want to do that again today. In view of your saving mercy, I offer myself to you. And engage again on this wonderful journey of partnership with God. And as we do so, we find not only that we've given ourselves to God, but we've also given ourselves afresh to each other. To be a living sacrifice, we need to savour God's saving mercy, but also his expansive mercy. You'll note that I skipped over chapters 9 to 11 of Romans, as we oft want to do. But in those uh, chapters, those three chapters, Paul deals with the great divide of his day between Jew and Gentile. It's a divide of prejudice, of religion, of nationality, of ethnicity. And in chapter 9, verse 3, Paul says something completely staggering. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. That's staggering, isn't it? If you know your Old Testament, there are echoes here of Moses' prayer when he descends from Sinai and finds the people worshipping the golden calf to his disgust. And he prays, he asks God to forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. Again, it's a wonderful prayer, but it's a staggering prayer. Neither Moses nor Paul come with an innocent, clean, pure heart that enables them to pay for the sin of others. Only Christ can do that. Only he can be cut off for our sin. But the character of their prayer, well, that is Christ-like. It shows a love for others that we could well do with in our nation just now. It shows a love that we could do with across our church It shows the expansive mercy of God. This section finishes in chapter 11, verse 30, with a declaration that just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy, so they too, the Gentiles, have have also received mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. Now, Read chapter 12 in that light. In view of God's expansive mercy to all kinds of people. To anyone who is out there. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This expansive mercy means I need a renewing of my mind. A renewing which makes me committed to God, yes, and to his people. Our vision here is to see lives transformed by Jesus. God's expansive mercy is more than sufficient for that vision. To see your family transformed. 
to see your neighborhood transformed, to see, your, to see debts repaid, to see societal fractures mended. But it needs a renewing of our minds to see it. A renewing that makes me committed to God and committed to his people. And so we're invited to reevaluate ourselves, verse 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But think of yourself with sober judgment. We reevaluate ourselves and we move ourselves out of the center of our lives. We're invited to be committed to serve, verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't have all the same functions, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a person's gift is prophesying, let them use it in proportion to their faith. If it's serving, let them serve. Serving is an interesting phrase, isn't it? In the book of Acts, it applies to all activities as as extensive as preaching through to waiting on tables. So I need to ask you, are you serving? If your gift is teaching, then teach. Could you be a home group leader? Could you be a children or a youth group leader? Are we missing the gifting in this church or are we just missing the attitude to do it? I know many of you are already very committed. It was a delight for me yesterday to see about 80 or so people um, gathering for a barbecue. Those who serve on the children and youth team. Brilliant to see people committed, invested, serving. But in view of God's mercy, are you using your gifts to his glory? If your gift is encouragement, then encourage. If you have the gift of encouragement, don't stint. Put an arm around someone's shoulder, pat somebody on the back, kick someone up the backside, because that is what encouragement is. There's a place for all of that. And if your gift is giving, then give. I don't know if you give to the local church here or if you haven't started that yet. But with this vision that we have for increased ministry in in this area, for a a church that is flourishing in Cutslow, increased income is needed. And in a place like this, it's easy to imagine that it's not needed. But gospel ministry needs support. In view of God's mercy, have you started to think about your giving? And then look at verse 8. This is a community that thinks and acts very differently. It gives generously, not grudgingly. It leads diligently, not lazily or out of selfish ambition. It shows mercy. This isn't the perfect community, but it shows mercy cheerfully, not through gritted teeth. Isn't this the kind of community that you want to be part of? Because it's the kind of community that I want to be a part of. It's the kind of community that might just change the narrative of our nation. 
It's a community that rests on God's saving and expansive mercy. That means that all we do is rooted in prayer and praise and reflection on what God has done. I feel like we're being called to depend more fully on God in prayer. That's why I've asked James, our curate, to take particular responsibility this season for increasing our focus on prayer. To build resources for prayer. To ensure that every ministry is rooted and grounded in prayer. At the start of this year, if you were here, uh, I laid out a challenge for us all to, uh, to reassess our commitment to say, are we all in for God in this place? And one of the things I mentioned that it was that I would love to see 100 people at our prayer, prayer meeting, uh, which meets monthly on the first Monday of the month. Thank you to those that have sought to meet that challenge. We made it to about 71 months, but in the last few no- months, the numbers have dwindled, dwindled again. There may be good reasons for that, but I wonder if we've forgotten God's mercy. Have we forgotten that we're called to seek his face first and foremost? Some of you, I know, uh, have clashes on Monday evenings, so we're now seeking to publish a prayer bulletin periodically to help us in our prayer uh, from wherever we are. You would have received it with my weekly email this week if you're on our mailing list. And to go alongside our uh, faithful weekly Friday morning prayer, there'll also be an open time of worship and prayer on Tuesday mornings at 7.30 here at the church a new initiative that we're starting called Seek First, remembering Jesus' words to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. If we're to see lives transformed by Jesus, if we're to see communities transformed, godly leaders developed, godly uh, churches grown, then we need to start in prayer. We need to start knowing and remembering God's saving mercy. He's a God I can trust my all to. We need to start knowing and remembering God's expansive mercy. I give my all to his people. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Only then will you be able to test and approve what God's will is, verse 2. Only then, when you've thrown yourself on that saving and expansive mercy, will you find yourself as a round peg in a round hole. Because you know it when you live it. The Christian gospel is not a matter of the head. It's It's a matter of the whole body. What leads you to Christ is not fine preaching, but it's the transformed life committed to Jesus, living radically different, no longer conformed to the pattern of this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is the way that we are invited to live. Wouldn't it be exciting if we did that together? Let's pray. Loving Father, we seek first your kingdom 
and your righteousness. We praise you for your saving and expansive mercy. We thank you for calling us to this city at this time. And we ask that we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices to partner with you in your mission for your world and to partner with one another that the world might know that you are God. And we ask in view of your mercy in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.